All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Jenna, and I am the operations manager here at the Spark Initiative. And I am joined here today with Mari, our uh, research and development development coordinator. Um, and then we have our very special guest, Jordan Brimlow. Um, so I'm sure you are aware by now that today is Giving Tuesday. And our amazing Nicole has been all over social media sharing the impact of our programs and um, kind of explaining how Giving Tuesday fundraising works. Um, so while Nicole was doing that this morning, Mari and I were at our local jail here uh, doing our Insights Wellbeing program with the veterans. Um, they are very near and dear to our hearts. We have a really good class going on right now. It's been amazing to see them um, want to share their experiences and like the insights that they have seen already in the last three weeks have been incredible. So we're so excited that, you know, we continue to do our program with the veterans at our local jail here. Um, Nicole is actually there with Chad now doing our program with the women there. Wow. Um, places for the moment. Um, uh, but we are very excited to be on this call now with our very special guest, Jordan. Mm. And uh, we're so proud of you, Jordan. So thankful for you to join us. So without further ado, I'll let you take over and share a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, your experience with Spark and the Insights Wellbeing Program. Beautiful. So, um, well, it's uh, it's been a busy, man, we've known each other for now, what, over two years, probably. Um, so the last year has been pretty busy. So me and my wife are now homeowners. Um, so we, yeah. so we bought a house, um, you know, since, since we've met, you know, I, I know that you guys know, but now we have three children. So we had a, we had a son in my intermission with the uh, Hillsborough County. Um, so I work for operation Barnabas now, and also I run a trucking company and I have my own business, um, <clears throat> which is going to. It kind of, it kind of is like a support service for the businesses, but I think I'm going to structure it more towards the grants. Um, since I, I know that's something that a lot of people need and most people don't want to deal with. So I like dealing with stuff like that. So I figured why not? Um, so, you know, went to jail the time at spark, um, was, was bad off into the crime life. Um, and just really unfocused, um, and when I got to the veterans pod before, kind of before that, I knew I kind of made the decision. I knew in my heart and my mind that I would never go back to drugs. Uh, I would never go back to that lifestyle that I had to change and shift my whole paradigm and kind of become a whole new creation, if you will. And so uh, for me, and, and I know the three principles, not everybody aligns this way, uh, but some do, some don't. But for me, it was, you know, reading the Bible, Father's Day, thinking about Jesus, thinking about God um, and how, you know, he sacrificed a son. And I just had a son who was only four months old. And it hit me like, man, I could never sacrifice Abel for me or for anybody else <clears throat> because I, I considered myself to be a scum, you know, low of the low. It's spitting in the face of Jesus. And I said, man, if you could have done that for me, who would I be now? To, to keep insulting that now that I have this epiphany now that I have this awareness I, I can never do that so that's kind of so I didn't know then but that's when my spark really started to click um and so when I got to the veterans pod I was just always struggling with like with telling everybody man how do I 
how do I explain what's happening? Cause nobody believes me. Why would they? I mean, I was reckless. Like nobody should believe me, but I knew like in my heart and my mind that I was changed. I was reformed. I was everything that I wasn't, you know? And so I didn't understand how to put a verbiage to that. And then lo and behold, you know, spark ladies walk right through the door. And, and so here they come with these books, this literature, this, this way of explaining, and, and I knew the moment that I had the first class with, with Brooke and Ashley that, man, that's exactly what I've been trying to say, but I didn't know how to say it. And then, and then that's kind of the common theme throughout the, the, the three, um, three principles and, and, and everything. Like the whole inside the well-being is like, it's just a shift. And like, you just get it when you get it. It's hard to explain it, but you understand it. And so through that, you know, I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I got to be able to bond out once I was able to explain myself better uh, to my mother and she was able to see that I really knew what I was talking about and that I really was changed. She still took a gamble, but she bonded me out. Um, and so I wasn't able to finish with Sparks. So actually that's what led me to, to doing zoom and setting that up and being able to finish on my own. Um, and so my wife got to see the change. Everybody got to see the change. So I met Barnabas, um, but I knew I would have to go back. And lucky for me, I got to see Sparks some more. But uh, so I had to go back to jail and finish out my sentence. And I, I really was conflicted. wasn't sure why I was going to go back. I questioned it. Uh, but then, you know, I got to be like a mentor when I was in there. I got to be on the other side and taste freedom and taste righteousness and not taste crime. Like I knew that it is possible to go to jail and to really change and, and not be the stereotype of, oh, well, you just got jailhouse religion or you're only changed because you're confined. Like you can actually change and be molded in jail and have this beautiful awakening and leave and continue that that momentum. And it doesn't have to stop. And, and I mean, now here we are, we're almost three years into it. And it's still, you know, it's just, it's leveling up more and more and more. You know, I got my, I got my VA disability finally, which I, I was always against. I didn't think it would ever happen. I was over the VA, but now, you know, I love the VA, you know, it's a whole, the benefit side is one side, but the actual healthcare side is a whole nother world. My family's covered uh, for life. My kids are covered for college. You know, I'm back in college. I just got my AA. Now I started January at Liberty uh, for my bachelor's. I was able to bring other brothers and sisters along uh, this journey with me. Uh, my wife's in nursing school. Um, I got a brand new truck, which is always nice. You know, it's materialistic, but it's just nice because <laughs> I, I've crushed all those things in my past. I didn't take them, you know, for what they were worth. I didn't care about their value. I was reckless. I just, I just didn't care. And so now to, to have that, that beautiful feeling and like even sitting at the dentist, <clears throat> it, it was so important for me to be a part of this because you guys were such an important part of my journey that I felt bad that I was running late and I was like, Oh man, you know, like, Oh, by the way, yes, we were a little late today because Jordan had to go to the dentist. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, it, it was, it was, it was hurting me that I was, I was running late, but you know, I knew, I knew that you, you understood my, my heart and my passion. So yeah. So that, that was how all this kind of tied into each other and then being able to just, live it out. I mean, obviously nobody's perfect. You still struggle with your thoughts and, and their actions and things, but you know, the, go back to the whole muddy water thing. If you don't stir it up too much and just let it chill and be still, 
you know, you can kind of just keep moving forward. You don't have to accept everything that comes at you. You can just let it be. So that's, that's a little biopsy. Oh, that's amazing, Jordan. I, we're so glad to hear how well you're doing and you're allowed to be happy with that new truck. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. um, I wanted to ask, and we were talking to the veterans today, we were letting them know that we were going to be talking with you and if they had any questions and something that has been a common theme throughout this whole class is um, a lot of the uh, veterans in there, we have worked with a couple times before, and they all kind of have noticed that when they're in jail or when they're going through programs, they will resonate a lot with either changes that they want to make with themselves or with the materials that they're hearing. But when they're released and they have the freedom and they're not, you know, in that um, that space where people are scheduling them instead of them deciding their own schedules. How do you, um, I guess, maintain the accountability to hold on to those changes that you decided you wanted to make for yourself? How do you keep that up for yourself and hold on to the success that you keep building for yourself and the freedom that right. you have now? <clears throat> so it's It's going to be kind of a foreign answer. It's, it's a very simple answer. Um, it's only simple when you're on the other side of it, but it's foreign because it was foreign to me too, because, you know, nobody had ever even spoken like that to me. Um, but it's a mentor, a hundred percent, a mentor. And, and I, I would go as far as saying, um, it's like we have a meeting with Barnabas once a week, every, every Tuesday, every Tuesday, no matter if it's, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, rain, shine, doesn't matter. So doing one, I, I would, correlate that because not everybody can do that but i would say doing one thing consistently to check in not only with yourself but with somebody else consistently no matter what day it is uh, you know what the holiday brings but just being able to check in so having that mentor uh that, that's going to keep you accountable because it takes it takes a crew you know you can't do it by yourself i think that's the biggest myth and, and like the most simplest way i can put it the military showed us all you need a team and for whatever reason, when we leave the military, we think we can do it by ourselves. And so we try to do that and it doesn't work out. So if you take the military concept and treat that as a mentor, that's why the mentor is important. Um, there's a lot of stuff that just you just have to have that grit. You have to have that dog inside of you uh, to, to really want to continue it. It's, I mean, shoot, I, I, I live in America and there's drugs everywhere. I mean. If I wanted to find something, I could find something. And and really, not to sound harsh, but you chose you chose to do it. You can choose not to do it. Like uh, you, you can choose not to think about it, just as much as you can choose to think about it. And, and and if you go back that way, yeah, you know, I know addiction is addiction, but there's also strength and weakness. So so really, that's why having a mentor, uh, a, you know, obviously don't go get a drug addict as a mentor because. You're probably not going to get the advice that you need, but find find a real strong mentor. Uh, for me, that was Tyler, um, who's now the CEO. Um, and then through that relationship, then eventually there'll come a point to where you've caught traction, you're making the flow. And now, and, and it may not be soon, it may be you know a year, two years from now. So now here we are, two two years, two and a half years in, and 
now I'm mentoring somebody, which I was against. I didn't want to do it. I didn't think I was worthy enough to do it. <laughs> but but now that's a whole nother level of accountability. You know, and, and being a father really helps because there's kids that count on me. My wife counts on me. So I kind of get blessed in that, in that aspect that I had my kids to fall back on. If I didn't have my mentor, if I didn't have the meetings, I would still have my kids and my wife. Um, but still some days with PTSD and everything, they're not even enough to get me to get out of my, my head, to get out of my, my funk. So having somebody on the outside calling you and you see they're calling and you're annoyed, but you're like, Oh man, I got to answer this. So, you know, that, that extra urge, you know, that extra thought, like, man, they're still thinking about me. So whether, you know, you were suicidal before or wanting to use before there's no judgment, there's, there's uh it's a clean slate. So yeah, I would say the answer to that would be establishing a mentor and, and one thing a week to keep accountability of a check-in. So, and it is that easy. I mean, and that's, that's really the blueprint to success. I think for, for us to be reformed. I think that's, I think that's great advice, regardless of the situation you're coming <laughs> out of having someone yeah. to help you keep yourself accountable. That's huge. Um, Cause yeah, we're all human and we all have yeah. those yeah. thoughts and the habits that feel comfortable. And it's so easy to fall back into things, even if we know how negative they are, unless we've got new reminders to to keep us in whatever new life we're trying to establish for ourselves. I love that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Say we're always uh, blessed here at Spark because we're always in the conversation, right? We're always talking about this. So we get that reminder all the time of you know, how our minds work. And so it's, it, it's so helpful to have somebody that, yeah, definitely keeps you accountable and, and you're setting yourself up for success rather than, you know, not having that there. Um, uh, since you're talking about um, Operation Barnabas, can you just go ahead and tell us a little bit just what that is so that our viewers can understand what you're talking about? Yep. So Operation Barnabas is also a nonprofit. Um, it's, it's more so geared towards veterans and first responders. So it helps make veterans and first responders whole again. So basically, <clears throat> it's not always the case, but most of the time it's taking these vets or first responders <clears throat> out of a crisis situation, out of an unsafe place or an unstable place. Um, and just with the one-on-one -on -one mentorship, uh, with the meetings, uh, you know, we're faith-based doesn't mean you have to be a believer of Jesus Christ or God to come in, but that's our principle and that's what we stand on. So that's why it works um, for us. But so, so we help whether it's homelessness um, and we got to find you uh, work with you because it's a hand up, not a handout. So we got to find uh, a stable living place. If it's a job, um, if it's transportation, like a car or vehicle, um, if it's sobriety, you know, that you're after, we have partner programs. Uh, we, we've learned that that's a little intense for us to deal with because we're not counselors or licensed social workers. So we have partners that can actually do that and, and help uh, with the sobriety and the, the reformation. Um, if it's women that are veterans, um, because women, you know, they, they, they need to not mingle with men in that, in that transition in their life. Um, and men don't need to mingle with women because you know, it's just it's never a good combination. Uh, it's like putting a woman in the veterans pod. I mean, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, so we have a, a woman veteran who deals with just women and, and she does great um, with that. And she even deals with the spouses of the veterans. Um, 
we have a uh, we have a tiny home uh, that we just set down on our property. So we we actually so what we were doing is we were so with me I came from the jail and I was put up in a hotel which was able to get my feet you know on the ground and that was able to let me get my momentum and start rolling. Um, so we lost that hotel when they when they sold it and that that kind of devastated us for a little bit but we got over it um, and we saw why the door was being closed. So we went um, we used some of our savings we bought a tiny house put it on this property that we have. And so now we're setting the, the groundwork, the blueprint for uh, a village. And so that way we can control the narrative. We can control the, the scenarios. We don't have to put them in a hotel where there's drugs being sold and prostitution happening. We can bring them to a safe place and really stand by the take you out of an unsafe and put you in a safe place. So we have a program set up for that. Um, which, which I was, I was a little bit of a guinea pig for that. So I got to, I got to experiment with that uh, when I got out of jail, uh, five, the second time when I got out of jail. And so Tyler, me, and and Pastor John, who's our COO, we've been able to experiment with that. So, yeah, I mean, any any way you can think of a veteran or first responder being in whatever kind of mode that's not stable or or you know societal norm, that's where we come in and and we offer that brotherhood the sisterhood, the partnership, the mentorship, um, and just really try to get them back to that stable level and to help them elevate even further. That's amazing. I love that. I think it's such an important thing. Um, I am a previous veteran and, or I am a veteran now, but I remember getting out and just, you know, feeling a little bit lost and don't have direction and not knowing where, you know, what to do next, really. And I think that's a, something that a lot of veterans struggle with. And so having somewhere for them to to go figure, you know, life out, I think that's just amazing. I love it. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, so my next question for you um, also kind of resonated with our current veterans class and in talking about burn bridges and past yeah. relationships and oh, yeah. how how to navigate those past relationships, especially mm. if you're the one that kind of did the hurting in the situation and how how to how to figure that out. Man, you know, this is why I love jail, because you really get some good questions. Like right? yeah, nothing but time. So you get to sit there and ponder the heart of the cause. So so first off, I'll say let them know that they're digging in the right direction. So they're, they're coming up with some depth and they need to stay on that. Um, because like when I first got out, like we dug, me and Tyler dug into like, why is everything happening? Why did we do all that? Like, what is all this coming from? And so, so digging is good. So I like those questions. So to answer that question, because I was probably, I was a professional bridge burner. I mean, I, I knew like there were some situations where I would go in, okay, I can get them to give me this much money, but I know after that, I just got to cut it and run. So like I, I knew how to play the game. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of that takes time and not, not your time, but their time. Um, everybody's got their own you know, agenda, even though, you know, you've changed, not everybody's going to believe that. I mean, it takes a while for some people and some people don't ever come back around. Some people can forgive you, but they won't forget you. So it's important to know those distinctions, the forgiveness and the forgetfulness, because uh, not a lot of people are forgetful. A lot of people can forgive, but not a lot of people are forgetful, but some people won't forgive. So like with me, um, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind, I, I use my, my mother-in-law as a, as a prime example. Um, 
you know, obviously what mother would want their daughter to be with a guy that was like me. Um, I don't think I wouldn't want my daughter to be with a guy that was like me. So she had a lot of reasons not to like me. And so we butted heads. We said things, we did things. It was, it was a very dark relationship. And so through going to jail, um, even when I got bonded out, we still weren't there yet, but the second time slowly it kind of came around. Um, and, and she was ready, but she didn't, you know, she didn't want to really make the first step because, you know, it's still fragile. The relationship is still very fragile and she doesn't know how much I've really changed. So I realized that I had to take a lot of, uh, leaps of faith on my own. So I had to come to her and tell her, I'm sorry, or apologize. I had to come to her and address like, man, I, I really did mess up, but that's not who I am anymore. You know, I had to apologize to people in her circle that I may have hurt because, you know, they still had to deal with me one way or the other because they were in her circle. So now uh, we love each other. We say we love each other. We're, we're very close. You know, we're, we're closer than we've ever been. She's a mother to me. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. And and that was one of the relationships that, you know, both of her and I would have probably told you that it would never be kosher. You know, it was it was it was rough. Um, there's relationships like I have I have a, you know, a brother that I've rekindled my relationship with. Um and, and it's it's blossoming and it's beautiful. He was always on me when I was on drugs, told me that's not the way. And and it became, you know, he was right, obviously, because he was sober and he knows what he's talking about. Um, with my, my older sister, we've we've rekindled our relationship. So she saw me when I was at the worst of it. And um, now she comes over and sees my children and she gets to be the auntie that, you know, she wants to be and spoil the kids and keep them up till 10 o'clock and We've got to we've got to have them, you know, late nights and watch them scream and cry, but it's all fun because it's all love and so so family really gets to come back. But the the key to that was was time. Uh, when I was in jail, uh, I actually it was the best time to really learn that. So I actually got to do this in jail. It's um maybe you can play this game with them or they can play it on their own because it's a pretty intense game. But you take this chair, this this chair and. You put everybody that you need to forgive in that chair. So it's an invisible person, obviously, but you call them by name. You say, I forgive you, but you got to, you, you have to truly mean it, you know, but whatever you got to say, you know, let's say yeah, I'm going extreme. Let's say, you know, you were violated as a child and it was your uncle, you know, you call your uncle by name, you say what he did. I forgive you for that. And you move on next person, next person, next person. Well, then at the end, you put yourself in that chair and you talk to yourself and that's the hard person to talk to. It's almost, you know, uh, mind numbing to talk to that person, but you forgive that person. And then truly, I think once I did, it was a hard thing to do. It sounds so simple, but once I did that, I was able to really feel a release. And so the forgiveness has to come from inside and then it can go external. And then the time has to be, has to be given and then just stay consistent. I mean, and then, and then that uh, to kind of answer the first question, that really is its own set of accountability because, you know I, know, I know we're all pretty competitive as men. So it's like, you don't want to mess up now because there goes, you know, 800 days of sobriety or man, all these relationships I just rekindled. And if I mess up now, they're going to be like, Oh, I told you so. So you can take that how you want. But for me, that's always a nice little underlying plateau to be like, okay, well, I can't mess up now. You know, I mean, you can still mess up and make mistakes, but you don't want to go that extreme because you've set up this great foundation. And and now 
people are willing to be around you again. So, and then I think the beauty in that is just you're okay now being around these people. It's just a beautiful feeling because you weren't before. You burned it bad. Right. Right. So, like, kind of what I'm hearing, like, you have those moments where you have those thoughts of whatever you're doing before, but you take a second to let that thought, you know, go or leave or whatever yeah. it is. But looking at the bigger picture, right? So that little thought that you had of wanting to do whatever it was you were doing before, you know, instead of impulsing and acting on that, you know, kind of set back and like, I have this bigger picture that I don't want to ruin, right? So that, right. that thought that just popped into my head isn't, isn't worth it right now, right? right. It's, it's irrelevant, yeah. Thank you, thank you for coming to the party, but you can walk yourself out, you know? Yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. like that. I was gonna, so one of my questions actually was like, how do you find forgiveness for yourself? You know, so mm. you, you kind of started talking about that a little bit, but how do you truly like let go of the yeah. things that maybe you've done to people to forgive yourself? Well, I think I think it's something I learned from Pressy, Mr. Pressy. Um, and, and I know I know he's not afraid to to hone it in on those guys, but it's 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 one of the most easiest answers but hardest like answers ever like you have to really be honest with yourself like cut out the bs cut out the baby and cut out the woe is me like you know what you've done you know who you are you know where you've been you know where you could go either positive or negative you got to be freaking honest you you got to really tap into your truth because and, and your truth may not always be truthful i mean your truth may be a lie like, but you've got to be vulnerable and, and open enough to accept that. Like some things we were taught, you know, I mean, you go, what, 60 years ago, white people, some white people thought black people were their enemy. You know, the racism was a big deal. And now you go generate, you know, two generations down. I know, and you guys know that's totally wrong. You know, we're all the same, but those people, that was their truth. And somebody had to, you know, Martin Luther King, people like him had to shift that, that thought process and say, look, your truth is wrong. What you've been shown is not the right way. And so you've really got to, to know that your truth may not be accurate, but you've got to be honest with yourself too. So truth in two different ways. Um, but that, I mean, and that, and that's a tough one, like, because there were times when, um, so when I got my disability, I got a, a, a obviously a little lump sum and this was when we were thinking about getting a house. Well, the one thing that, you know, you got to have when you get a house is good credit, you know, at least decent credit. And so I look at my debt and I'm like, I'm living in my past again because I know where all that debt came from. And the first thought that came up was, oh, forget it. Let's not waste our money on this, you know, or let's let's try and fight it. Let's say we didn't do it. So those are the thoughts that come up. But then the mentor uh, in, in physical form says, well, you know, let's just pay it. You know, that, that'd be the best thing you could do. And then the consciousness is like, man, you know, you did all this, like, stop trying to stop trying to catch a break, just pay it. And, and I tell you what, the best thing I ever did was be honest and accept that and pay it. My score jumped up like 150 points in 30 days. We obviously we got the house, <clears throat> my score still climbing. And, and then I was able to shift my mind from that honesty and that truth to grow into a, a futuristic truth, if you will, and know that, man, my daughter in in nine years will be able to get a car and daddy's going to need to have some decent credit. So now I'm looking at my credit not as a selfish thing, but as a, a selfless thing. 
because what can my credit help my children set up and do? And how can I show them how credit even impacts their life? Because it's it's a powerful tool. But that that all comes from honesty, choosing to be honest and then watching the ripple effect of honesty because your lies are a ripple effect. Bridges get burned, but also bridges can be mended by truth. Love that. Love that. Plus, not being honest, keeping up with lies. Yeah. That's a hard thing Ooh, to do. It's rough, man. <laughs> Very cool. I love that answer. Um, I was sort of wondering, it kind of goes to what you were just speaking on, but also the previous question about dealing with burned bridges. Um, I know that you talked about like your mother-in-law and your wife and, and your family, but what about like your friends and the people that might have been, you know, part of what got you incarcerated in the first place and finding either making those boundaries? How did you do that? Or, you know, making sure that those bridges did stay burned so that you could yeah. find new relationships and new friends. How was or what was it like navigating that for you when you got out? So. I think I think it's also important um, and not everybody can do this, but I think everybody should should try or most people should try and do most of these things. But you got to change your people, places and things. Um, it, it, hopefully you can change all three of them, but I know not everybody can. Um, but for me, it was always the people, uh, the place. The place doesn't ever really change because everything is everywhere. I mean, we live in a world now where everything is accessible. Um, you'd have to literally live in a cave and odds are you're a hundred miles away from drugs. I mean, in that cave. So uh, the people was, was the big thing. The thing you can start working on in jail and you can keep that momentum, but the people was the big deal. Um, so some of those people I don't talk to and I'm okay not talking to them. Um, and I, and I choose not to talk to them because they don't add value, context, or speak into my life. I mean, and so why am I going to take on what they're saying? Why does their opinion matter? They're not here with me. Uh, they're not mentoring me. They're not going to the meetings with me. They're not helping me buy a house. You know, they're not I'm helping put gas in. Yeah, they're not paying my bills. They're not putting gas in my tank. They're not watching my kids for me. So they're irrelevant. Not not in a, in a harsh way. I mean, humans are humans, but we're on two different paths. Um, some of them um, I've slowly taken back into uh, account and, and brought back into my life. Um, and, and usually, you know, like you gotta, you gotta really trust yourself in knowing that the right people that want to be in your life, they will come looking for you. Now, so will the bad people, uh, the negative people, they'll come looking pretty hard too. Um, but you've got to kind of just discern like, are they hitting me up for money all the time? Are they hitting me up to do the negative stuff? Well, let's let's chop that. Let's chop that right now. Let's cut it out. Let's move on. Don't be afraid to block. Don't be afraid to say, hey, man, we're not on the same path. Uh, let's just part ways. Or are they hitting me up and they're asking me how my day is, asking me how my children is, congratulating me on my sobriety. Are they the silent liker that likes all my posts but doesn't interact with me, but they're watching me? And so I know what they're doing because they know who I was and they're seeing if I'm going to stay the course. And so they slowly start to integrate back into the world. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people that I miss, but it's really the memories that I miss of that person. I know that person isn't the memory. That person is going down the same path. And it also, the Superman complex comes up. Uh, but the best advice I was given is I'm not Jesus. 
and Jesus came to save us, not me. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just here. I can't save you. I can't save you. I can't, I can hardly save myself. <laughs> I mean, I had to go to jail to get saved. Um, so, so just remembering that takes a lot of pressure off that I don't have to save all my friends. I'm not going to be the, the great second coming to come save everybody. It was hard enough to save ourselves. And if we're sitting in jail, clearly we did something wrong. I mean, whether, whether we know, whether we want to admit it or not, we, we screwed up somewhere in life to where we're sitting behind bars. And, um, yeah, I mean, you just, you gotta, you gotta stay away. I mean, this it's a self-discipline that's got to come into effect, you know, a good part of it, but, and then discernment, I would say is the other part, just knowing who's, who's a, who's a snake and, and who's, who's genuinely trying to help you or watch you or be a part of your elevation. But again, time, that, that's another thing that comes with time. For me, I, I took, I took probably almost a year from not even talking to anybody in my past. I had a new Facebook. I didn't go adding everybody. I didn't want to be a part of all of that. I stayed away from the the circles that was affiliated with my circles. And, and then I just waited. And after a year, I started feeling like, okay, you know, maybe there's a few people that I can, I can talk to and, and I've done that, but really this is my community now. And this is where I live. And I don't have to be the one to go visit everybody all the time. People can come visit me. I don't have to be the one way street. My phone rings just like it calls. You know, I think people forget that sometimes. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, I know I've had my own past and plenty of mistakes. And I think you're exactly right that you can miss the memory of them, but that's not the entire story. And you got to remember where you were when that memory was made and right. the actions you were taking or the substances that you were using in during that memory and, and really recognize that, yeah, it, it was fun. Sure. But the, the grand scheme of things, that's not how I want my, my picture to be painted. Right. And yeah, I think, I think that's a really great way to put it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, kind of what I was hearing this whole time is like how much you're taking care of yourself, you right. know, and then, and, and that, that's what we talk about your spark, that well being inside of you. Right. And it, it, I mean, can I say you found your spark? <laughs> you sure can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 I, and I know, I mean, I know, you know, I know not everybody like that I've come into contact because I've got, I've got some people that I consider really good friends um and i know not all of them believe in jesus you know i'd be ignorant to think that everybody in the whole world is going to believe in jesus um so for me you know my spark was to just remind me uh, of jesus you know jesus was my spark you know the whole song uh this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine it's always the first thing i think of um but i know i know the spark can be found in different ways different times different styles uh certain people are going to believe what they believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And I'm not trying to talk about that, but I'm saying like, because of me finding that, that awareness, that openness to understand, like we all came the same. We were all born the same way. You know, we all came out of a woman. Uh, That's one thing we can all agree on. Um, And we may not all come to find our, our, our insight to well-being the same way, but, we're all human. Like we all mess up. We all jack up. 
we're all human. Like we always come back to that one point. We're all human. Like we'll all live and we'll all die. I mean, it's a guarantee. We're all, we're, none of us are making it out of here alive. I mean, that's a guarantee. So for that, for that notion, it's just a beautiful thing to know that, man, I can care about you because your life is precious because it's got a time limit, you know, and anything that's got a time limit, you want to hold tighter because when you lose it, you lose it. You can't get it back. Yeah, I, it, it definitely um, humanizes people, right? So like, yeah. yeah, we all are born, we all die. At the same time, we all have thoughts and we all have feelings, yeah. right? Our experiences are very different and the way that we think is very different and oh, yeah. how we grew up or, you know, all those things are different, but the way that we work as humans is all the same. And then, so I think that puts like, at, from my perspective, everyone on an even playing field, you know, yeah. we're all just human. Well, yeah, and, navigate and so, this life. <laughs> and so to talk about that, because um, I, I know that's kind of uh, some spark talk. Um, so, like, one thing I've caught myself saying quite a few times uh, to, to you know friends that I grew up with or to people that come through the program is, man, sober people don't act that way. Like, that's not normal for sober people because when you're on drugs, you don't really know what the normal is on the other side because you really think in your head, man. I'm acting just like these guys, but you're over there tweaking and flexing and moving and zooming and you know, just craziness. You're just always around craziness. And so one thing I've learned is that when I was in that mode, I didn't have the perception or the reality that I could get out of it. I didn't think that I could get sober. I literally thought um, there was a point to where I thought I wouldn't have enough energy to keep up with my children if I didn't use methamphetamines. And as stupid as that is, like all I have to do is come off of it, rest a few days, and then I get back into a normal routine sober. That's a simple answer. But when you're in that world, you just, you can't see that reality. You can't see that perception. So your experience isn't the same as the guys literally standing right next to you who sees his kids. and He's like, man, I'm full of energy right now. Let me go run and play with my kids. And then there's this guy sitting next to him. He's like, man, if I don't have drugs, I can't have the energy to run and play with my kids and two people in the same situation, but running through two different total experiences. So I've also been able to learn from that. Like there is a whole nother side to whatever you're thinking, whether good or bad. It's just, you know, what do you choose to let sit there and resonate and be reality? You know, you don't have to let any of it be reality. Right. <laughs> right. It's so easy to get that tunnel vision and only see, especially when there's, you know, drugs involved and stuff like that's all you see. But yeah. when you're out of it, that's it just opens up so much more for you. Yeah, definitely. Cool. I was um, kind of curious, I think, especially for a lot of the guys that are in the program now, um, when you're, you know, part of the military, you kind of feel defined by your uniform or your branch when you're there and then you leave. And then now the guys will a lot of times feel defined by their orange outfits and the fact that they're now incarcerated. And I don't think I've ever heard you define yourself in any one way, but specifically not, you know, a formerly incarcerated guy just here. Like you, you've seen so much more for yourself. You have explained that you're a business owner and that, you know, you're working to build up your community and all that. And so how do you work to, I guess, either not 
stigmatize yourself, not keep yourself labeled um, and just kind of break out of that to, to give yourself the opportunities. Because I, I think a lot of that, and we talk about it in Spark, when we label ourselves, a lot of times we box ourselves in. Yeah. And so how, how do you feel you've broken through that and, and you know, grown into more than, than what people might want to define you as? So when I first got out, I was just talking about this earlier. When I first got out, for whatever reason, I believed that everybody was going to ask me if I was a felon. I thought they would know I'm a felon. I thought they would ask me. I thought it'd be this walking like sign above my head. As crazy as that sounds, I truly believed it was going to be a problem everywhere I went, like the restaurant or, you know, the courthouse or talking to a police officer. Like, I just felt like somebody's going to, like, they're all going to know. Well, I realized in short, the DMV is the only one that has ever asked me if I'm, and they didn't even ask me if I'm a felon. They said, uh, would you like to register to vote? Every time I change my, uh, I update my license, would you like to register to vote? Well, no, I cannot. You know, it's the only time that it ever comes up and rarely do they ever say, why not? You know, usually it's okay. I understand. Um, the only other time is, man, the, the rare occasions that I have to go see uh, a probation officer or I'm a part of an altercation with some, somebody in the program and cops are involved and I have to make it known or addressed that this is a, a, you know, something that is relevant to my felony, you know, but very rarely, like it's maybe twice has that ever happened. <laughs> I mean, and it's been two years. So once a year, maybe, but I know some of these guys get out and they go work, it'll pop up. Um, it's getting a lot better now, but it'll pop up on the resume or the, or the application, um, or the DMV. Um, but really like when I bought the home, they could, they could care less. Like they'll sell a home to a felon. They'll sell a home to a civilian. What's your credit? How much you got? What are you willing to do? The VA, VA could care less. Only time they care is when you're in prison and you already know you're a felon cause you're in prison. And so that label still exists, but it, nobody cares. Church doesn't care. People you're around don't care. It's it's a shock value. Like when you drop the, the bomb on them, like, oh, yeah, I'm a convicted felon. Wait, what? You know, like that's a shock value. But uh, when they see me with my kids and my wife, it doesn't even compute. So for that, like to get rid of the labels. Um, so so that was that was a shock. That was a shock for me. And I was like, oh, man, nobody really cares. And so also was integrated in community. So once you get integrated into community, none of that is relevant. They start seeing you like, so there's a lady, I call her my mama, Karen. Um, she's an accountant. She's a CFO for Barnabas. She's my accountant for my business. Um, she's only known reformed Jordan. She has, n she has no version of me pre <laughs> jail. And so she can't even compute in her mind the heinous stuff that I've done. And, and, and it would break her heart. I mean, if she had to watch a tape of like my first, you know, 28 years of life. <laughs> but that being said, she, she doesn't even see me as a felon. She doesn't see me as a criminal. She sees me as a son. She sees me as a father. You know, she sees me as this beautiful little boy that I wish I was, but I know <laughs> who I was, but, but I do, I, 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 I feel the kindness in her heart. And so, so for her, you know, just relationships, being a community, her and multiple people, they don't see that. 
Now, I share it a lot more than, you know, people probably expect me to because it's a part of my testimony. And I really need people to understand, like, man, I, I should not be on this side. Like, I shouldn't be, you know, uh, obviously, you know, I have a relationship with Sheriff Chad Chronister. Well, I have a relationship with the sheriff in Clay County. I have a relationship with the sheriff in Duval. I shouldn't be going to meet with sheriffs. Like, I, I was, the FBI was, you know, coming down my street, you know, the drug enforcement, you know, the ATF, like, I was not their friend, you know, and, and now for that whole, like only, I believe only God can do that, like to shift and put me on a whole other side. And it's because those labels, those labels are minuscule. Like they don't matter. Like Mr. Pressy doesn't walk around in his house being called Mr. Pressy, you know, like, you know, I don't walk around in my house being called Jordan. I walk around being called daddy. But when I'm with my wife or when I'm intimate with her, yeah not to sound funny, but she doesn't call me daddy. You know, she calls me Jordan, you know, she calls me her husband, you know, um, my mother, you know, she doesn't, you know, call me dad either. She calls me son, you know, so, so everybody's got a label for everything. And, and just like with the thoughts, you know, you don't have to wear those labels all the time. You can take them off. You're not just one thing. You're not always a student. You're not always at spark. You're not always going to be an inmate. God willing, you know, God willing, you're not, you know, doing life. And, and even then I had a grandfather that did life, but he never let his life sentence define him. He still was a father. He still was a grandfather. He still was a great grandfather. And he really, kept himself split between the two like yeah he had to accept the reality that he's here for life and he has to make the most of it but he also knows he still has a heart that's out here on this side and so just let the labels come and let them go take what you want and, and put it on like a patch that we wore in the military you know put it on and once you've deployed to another level of your life take it off put another one on you know once you rank up, pull that rank off, put another one on, you know, the labels keep on going. A private's not always a private. A captain's not always a captain. There's always different names for different ranks. You know, they always grow. So as long as you're growing, you know, you're growing, but, but really the label that they should be worried about is whatever their name is. And what does your name mean to yourself? You know, like, what does your name mean to your close circle? Yeah, it's beautiful. Kind of, um, what's kind of coming to me right now is that like you were saying before you had these ideas and thoughts of, you know, people labeling you and, and that's, that's who you were before you actually got out. Right. I'm thinking like maybe, I don't know, five years ago, how did you see your life unfolding? Like all the possibilities that have happened now and where you are now, like probably wasn't even in your mind, but what was yeah, in your mind yeah. is, they're going to label me this, right? Yeah. Like how cool is that to see that all these possibilities, all this potential inside of you came to life, you know, and all that other stuff just kind of fell away. Yeah. If, if like five years ago, I wasn't, I'd never been arrested. Um, and everybody treated me like a felon, like literally everybody treated me like a, like a bad guy. I, I wasn't, um, I struggled with drugs, but I hadn't really hit my peak of where I would go chaos mode with drugs. Um, so like in that mode, I, I was trying to do right, but I was still very naive to life. But it's ironic because that's how I was labeled then. I, I didn't think any of this was possible. I never thought I'd be a homeowner. I never thought I'd have more than one child. Um, I never thought I, I, did, I didn't know how I would reform everything that I'd ever seen anybody get. I, I never knew how it was possible to get a house. 
Like I just couldn't comprehend how to get a house. Just didn't compute with me. Um, but ironically, even though those weren't the truths then, they were the reality then, but they weren't the truths then, I would become a felon. And I've had more love and more success as a felon than I ever did as just a regular person. I mean, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it. And it's like that label, if you will, that felony label is the one kick I needed to say, man, it's time to wake up. Like, it's not too late, but it's it's real life now. Like, it's serious. And so, but five years ago, all this was incomprehensible. Like, I was naive. I was young. I was immature. I was a peacock. I just wanted attention to get attention. I didn't know what I wanted to do with the attention. Um, I would have sold my soul for for pretty much anything. I mean, I was, I was you know, and that was even pre-recklessness. Like, I hadn't even got to the chaos yet. But I just know, like, I feel bad for me then because I know what I had available and the clean slate that I had <clears throat> could have capitalized. But also five years ago, my mentor would move into the same area <clears throat> that I came to. Because when I came back to Florida, I came to Clay County. And um, <clears throat> little did I know, you know, this guy would be, you know, a couple blocks away from me, you know, five years preface to when we met. And then here we are, you know, fast forward. And now we're connected. Like, so that I also pay attention to all the moving pieces that were moving. Now that I'm sober and I can look back on it, like, <clears throat> man, like life is going to pull you where it wants to pull you. Like it knows where you're going before you even can comprehend or grow to mature to where you're going. Great, Jordan. So this is Giving Tuesday. So we are talking to all of our Spark supporters. Um, so why do you think that the Spark program, the Insights Wellbeing program should be in our community? Like what? why should people donate to this program so that we can continue to do our program in the community? Um, it, definitely, it definitely offers uh, a break in the monotony of of jail obviously but it also it offers an outlet and uh an unbiased standpoint of understanding and comprehension um it lets people that were like me that didn't know the words to put to what i was feeling get words put to it you know here, here are these people that aren't chained in uh in, into a jail they're in life and so they're able to think properly and move properly they're not stuck in their mind 24 seven well, some of us are but you guys weren't um and so they come in and they're able to bring clarity to that um so that's that's obviously a bonus and then it really is just uh it's a more positive way to life like it's a more uh you know schools aren't going to teach you this thing colleges aren't going to necessarily teach you this um so for you guys to even work with the kids it just it really it could be that one thing that somebody needed to hear to change their trajectory. Like to know that, man, somebody else gets it. And man, this guy was reckless, but he gets it and he changed his trajectory. You know, who am I? You know, I'm just, a, I'm just a 10 year old, 11 year old, man. I really could change my trajectory. I really don't want to be like these guys. So I'm going to try and go this way. Like they're talking about because they obviously have good jobs. They obviously look, you know, squared away. So, man, maybe I should, maybe I should buy into what they're selling, you know? And, and if it works for people, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but you know, like everything, some people are going to come and some people are going to go, but yeah, I, I definitely think if they're going to support, that's, that's why, you know, it, it really gives a, 
gives an extra extra opportunity to somebody that may not have thought there was an opportunity to be had. Love that. And it just made me remind me, um, Mari and I have a guy, a gentleman in our class that I think he's said he's 70 years old. And wow. he, he said, I didn't know I had so much potential inside of me. Wow. And we're like, that at 70 year old for you to hear that and see something different. It just, I was so excited for him just to be yeah. able to, you know? Wow. That's awesome. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Jordan. It's always My pleasure. a beautiful conversation with you. Yes. So thankful for you and so excited for your, whatever unfolds next for you. Right. Yeah, next 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 year when we have this conversation, I'll be in Wrexham. So Okay. I'll be in your neck I'll be in your neck of the woods watching your sport. Yeah, Jordan's I'll, talking my language. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh and actually so my, my bet one of my best friends up here, he's a purple heart. Um he just we 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 just got him a, a free house. So mortgage free, he's gonna live by the airport in Orlando. Um and so I'm going to talk him into going to an Orlando game here or there. Yeah. So, yeah, because it's just, sure. well, I, I, and you know, it's probably because you talked about it so much in jail. But, man, when I started watching it, my cousin, obviously, he's overseas in Wrexham. And he told me, and, and, and I said, hey, man, who should I watch? He's like, well, uh, or I was like, what team do you guys have? And it just so happened to be Wrexham. I mean, what are the odds that it's the best, yeah. it was the best team in that in that league at the time? And I was like, man, that's a, that's a good team to be a fan of. And, man, changed my whole perspective of football. Love it. <laughs> yeah. For everyone to yes. soccer yes. fans. Yes, yes, <laughs> So, yeah, I always enjoy it. You know, just tell the guys, you know, just keep it up. I know Pressy, I think, is retiring next month. Yep, um, yep. So, so give them a birthday cake for me. I'll probably send them one. You know, I'll probably send them a, a cake or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean. It's, just, it's it's amazing what, what potential they truly do have. And, and I just hope they can tap into it because there've been some guys that come out and they overdose in two days. There's one that came out and he passed away in a Walmart bathroom by himself on drugs, but there's one that's come out. He's been like me for the last two years. He's just been rocking and rolling so they can choose what, what trajectory they want to go. And, you know, my phone, Pressy's got my number. My phone's always open, believe it or not. A lot of them get out and they don't call. I mean, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I mean, Pressy understands it because he's been doing it a lot longer than me, but yeah, I mean, the phone's always open. I mean, you know, it's always a hand up, not a handout, but find a mentor, learn your truth, learn how to be honest with yourself, learn how to forgive yourself and just stay consistent. I mean, Pressy says all the time, you're not smoking, you're not drinking, and you're not getting high while you're in the veterans pod. So you're not, you're obviously not, you're obviously not having a hard time being in here. So, why can't you do that in the streets? You obviously don't need it, you know, because you're sober here. So right. he's got a lot of nuggets. They just got to listen. So Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Jordan. Um, My pleasure. So just to um, talk about Giving Tuesday just for a few seconds. Um, I know Nicole was talking about some different challenges that we have going on, some different raffles that were going on. Um, we do want to say thank you to Christina White for donating. Uh, very much appreciative. Um, if anyone else would like to donate, uh, the link is in the comments. So check that out, our PayPal link. Uh, there's no donation too small. We really appreciate it. We love doing our program in the community. So please consider donating. We would very much appreciate it. So 
thank you everyone thank you jordan thank you mari and we will see you soon all right bye-bye bye jordan it takes a spark to start a fire it takes a heart to have desire it takes some sweat Light.